Going Deep with Aaron Watson is brought to you by the Going Deep Summit. The afternoon session of the summit will be kicked off by Leah Lizarondo. Check out what Leah is going to be talking about. Yes. So I'm so excited. I'm going to talk about why it's good to bite off more than you can chew and how you can do it. And I think that's one of the best principles that I live by. Hey, thank you so much for coming back and listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I've got a really fun interview today. I talked with Beth Caldwell, founder of Pittsburgh Professional Women, a business and life strategist and PR consultant. Beth has had multiple evolutions as a strategist and a professional. We talked about how she started off with networking, the PR work she's done, and some of the most common failures, strategies, and mistakes that she sees entrepreneurs making. Hopefully, you can take the advice and wisdom from Beth and shortcut some of the growth in your career and not replicate the mistakes that she outlines in today's interview. I had such a fun time talking with her and really appreciate both her candor and attitude towards sharing these stories. She knows that they'll be helpful for you and that's why she's sharing them. So please pay close attention to my conversation with Beth Caldwell. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. start off thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate it thanks for your flexibility yeah um so we were talking a little bit before we turned the mics on and there's this really interesting kind of yin and yang to the way our careers have progressed which is my whole kind of brand presence ethos has been you know podcast digital digital facebook group email newsletter all these things and i'm slowly trying to work my way into more real world physical space and your career has kind of been in that opposite direction you start with a lot of uh, physical interactions and meeting people in the real world and, and teaching yourself these digital skills as you've gone so maybe to, to start painting a picture for people a little bit can you talk about where you started when it comes to the business coaching that you do and, and, and your work and uh, maybe get a little bit into how you've started to have to evolve. Well, we really, we really are a bit opposite. And last night I was teaching a publicity workshop and I gave the example about how I have not had a website in years and I did have a website for a while, but it was horrible. And I was on a podcast, one of the first podcasts I was ever uh, interviewed on it was maybe two, 2011. And the person who introduced me, she was reading this beautiful bio, you know, and, and when you hear yourself very professionally interest, introduced, you think, wait, who is that person, right? And so she's reading these beautiful things that she's gathered about me online and news sources. And she said, and one thing that I love about Beth Caldwell is what I've learned from her is you don't need to have a nice website to have a successful business. And I went, oh, thank you. <laughs> Good punch. And she really did mean that as a compliment. I mean, yeah. she was saying it, but I thought, oh, I really do need to fix that. And that was 2011, still haven't fixed it yet. So that has been sort of an ongoing joke for me that I've never got that website going. But yet since that time, since before that time, I have had uh, business booked to capacity with a waiting list, you know, uh, first as a, a public relations consultant, and now as a, as a, then as a writer and speaker, and now as a, as a coach right? I'm a, I'm a business strategist, life strategist. I have that unique ability to help people with both life and business, something I resisted for a long time. But how that really came about was, you know, old-fashioned networking meetings before 
My goodness, Erin, I went to networking meetings in Panera Bread. When Panera Bread opened and people would walk in the door and go, what kind of food do they have in here? And do you have to pay for this room, right? Yeah. So I was doing that in the beginning and I collected email addresses and I thought, this email is the best invention. We're never going to have to use the phone. We're never going to have to send mail again. Early in my career, all I did was collect first name email address. I thought that would be always the only way I I connected with people. So I was an early adapter on the technology of email and email newsletter. I was really early on that, but I've never really picked up on anything else. I never got a blog. You know, people would tell me you have to have a blog. And I'm like, I have a Facebook page and everybody likes what I say there. Why do I need to have another place for them to go? So I guess in a way I've been resistant and I've stuck to the old fashioned things, you know, and I think that you could even consider an email newsletter today old fashioned, but it's still one of the best ways that I help my clients and myself to grow your business and and to leverage yourself as a as an influencer as a leader. I'm also in probably a place that you're not, which is LinkedIn groups. I don't know if you're there. I'm big there. I'm really big there. And so that's I, I think that is considered more traditional than maybe some of the other social media episodes. But everything really did, to answer your question, start with in-person networking and then growing my tribe. I didn't even know what a tribe was. But I um, am a connector and I love to connect people and I love to support people. It's a natural part of my ability. It's one of my gifts. And so staying in touch, you know, people have been doing that successfully. Salespeople have been doing that successfully for years before the internet. And that's really my most natural gifts. Absolutely. You have a really active and enthusiastic tribe in the Pittsburgh Professional Women that has not only will listen to you and and when you have ideas that you want to share there, but will make efforts to promote you and and promote each other within that community. Um, And and you talked in that answer a little bit about this transition from PR into the business coaching, life coaching type of realm and your resistance to that. So that was really interesting that you said you kind of resisted it for a while. Take us through maybe where you were from a PR consulting standpoint, what was pushing you towards that and where the resistance came from or why you were not immediately rushing to that? Sure. So So to answer that, you need to know that all I've ever wanted to do was to be a writer. And my my dad might argue with you and say, no, all she really ever wanted to do was be a speaker because she never stopped talking ever, even in my sleep, right? So I'm one of those people that writing and speaking is my thing. I love to write. And so so as I was, I took a, a courage and I left my job, like a regular paycheck job to become a communications consultant. And I started a marketing firm. Now, when I started doing, I would tell people I do marketing. They'd be like, oh, nice. But they really didn't know what that was. So I was taking classes on public relations. I really love public relations. So I started thinking, you know, people don't seem to understand marketing, but they understand public relations. So I'm going to just say I have a public relations firm. It's the same thing. We do the same thing. Marketing is a part. Publicity and marketing go hand in hand. And when I would say that, people would light up. Oh, really? Tell me more. I was like, wow. I've been saying I've been marketing for six months. Nobody's ever said that to me before. So it's that and every other lesson that I learned in my business about how to grow my business. had a really painful lesson one time. Most of my business, probably like 
most of your listeners, most of my business comes from other people. You have to hire Beth. You, sh- you need to check her out. You, you know, it's all referral based. And so I got this beautiful referral one day, an email, and it said, uh, Dear John, this is my publicist, Beth Caldwell, and you absolutely must hire her. She's the best. P.S. She's really cheap. Oh. Oh, another like gut punch, right? Yeah. And I, I thought, wait a minute, I'm affordable. Why, what, like, that really hurt. I had wanted to position myself as an affordable person. Public relations can be very pricey. And I wanted to position myself as affordable, but I had gone a little bit low. And and that was one of those lessons. So what I had to do with that was, do I want to be known as the cheap publicist? Or do I want to know as the person who's worth every penny? That was a painful lesson. So lessons like these are what I began to gather up and write about and share with people and helping them to grow their business. And so the way that I'm a coach slash strategist now is not because I went to school and learned it from a book. It's all the lessons that I've learned in both life and business. And it's sometimes it's kind of like being a parent, kind of sometimes when people will tell me their problems or what isn't working. And yes, part of it is Um, you're overbooking yourself. And part of it is that um, maybe you haven't asked for a raise. And part of it is you're underpricing yourself. But part of it is maybe you're just not stepping out of your comfort zone. So there's sort of a little bit of business and practical and a little bit of parenting that I'm natural at that comes in along with it. So with the PR consulting, were you working with like individuals Mm -hmm. or small companies or big companies? Like what, what type of account did you have? And then how did that compare to Uh, the people that were kind of building a community around the lessons that you were learning and you were writing about and other things you were doing in that realm. Yeah. So early, I I, I was a a few years doing the PR and the growing my business before I started writing about it. Okay. And um, another big mistake that I made in my business, maybe we'll title this the biggest (laughs) mistakes made in business, right? But uh, another big mistake that I made was in my first year of business, I took everybody who would hire me. So I went to networking events. I sent out email newsletters. I had a marketing plan because I know marketing. So I had a few ways of marketing. One way was I went to networking events. Uh, I did have a website. I had some brochures. I had a really good email newsletter, which I put an announcement out in that. And I also did a, a letter campaign, you know, a warm campaign in the, in the mail where I wrote a letter to people that I had worked with in other places in the past and let them know that I opened my business. And actually in the first year of business, most of my clients came from that letter that I had written. And uh, it's what I teach people to go back to today. We'll probably talk about that in a moment. And the mistake that I made was that everybody who said I want to hire you, I said yes to, because I wanted a full practice. And some of them weren't good fits. And some of them, I couldn't help. Some of them weren't coachable. They weren't, they weren't ready for publicity. They weren't really ready for marketing. So sometimes I had some difficult clients. And that was a painful lesson that I learned through. And, and one of the ways for those of you listening that are dealing with that, when you raise your prices, usually the difficult people quit on you. So it, it shakes itself out. You give yourself a raise and you break away from the difficult clients as well. So that was a mistake I made. Another mistake that I made at that time was taking on too, more than I could handle. So I thought if I worked for people, at that time, the way I did it was somebody would come in, we'd have a consult, we'd make a publicity plan or a marketing plan, and then they would leave and I would do all the work. And the mistake that I made was I took so many clients that I was meeting with clients all day and then doing their work all night 
and it was just me and I didn't have a helper and I couldn't afford to pay a helper and I took on too much work. So, so I learned a lot about how not to do a business in those early times. And as I shook things out and strained things out and really built this to um, what it should be, these are not things that they teach you in business school. They don't teach you how to, how to handle these everyday uh, situations and, and even in regular classes. And so after I shook myself through maybe the first three, three and a half years, I decided to start having workshops for women and teaching them some of the things that I learned. And sometimes I was a speaker and sometimes I had another speaker. And after I did that for about a year, I gathered up those lessons and I, that was my first book. So, so that's how I made them work together, right? And, and it, there really isn't, there was never a plan. I never said, hey, I'm going to do a business and then I'm going to start a women's group and then I'm going to have a book and then I'm going to have a newspaper. None of that. It, it wasn't. And I don't actually think it was reactive either. I think it, in a way it was very guided. I was a single mom with two little kids and I needed to pay the bills. <laughs> and I would say, hey, maybe I should teach a workshop. Maybe I should try to write a book. I wonder if this would work in a book. And I think that my willingness to try new things and to listen to those promptings and those ideas has been a huge part of my success. The way that I'm hearing it is there's this middle space between on one end you have, I'm planning every step of the way, step one, step two, step three, like it wasn't so drawn out like that. And it wasn't chaos. It wasn't just, like you said, completely reactive. But that middle space is really about being in the moment. You, you can kind of get yes. stuck in the past and how things work in the past. And that keeps you from really evaluating your current place in that in time and what opportunities are available to you and what the actual signals are through all the noise. And that sounds like really the kind of approach that led you to each subsequent step. I think you're exactly right. In the moment, sometimes it felt like chaos, um, but I think there was complete trust and hard work and determination as well. You know, for me at that time with young children, it was really important to me to to be available, you know, before the school bus came and after the school bus came back. Yeah. It was really important to me. And so I, I figured out a lot of ways to make that work. And a lot of people had opinions of, I, I remember one time somebody saying to me, what are you doing now? You're always doing something different. And I remember thinking, Yes, I am. I am. And and somehow I wanted to fit into that mold of somebody who wasn't always different, but I just can't. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Another thing that you said two answers ago, and I keep trying to tie these different pieces together, is that it's not something that's taught in traditional business classes or business schools. And what I kind of struggle with rolling over, because I've, I've had very similar experiences where I've learned things, whether it's in the lead up to promoting the Going Deep Summit or other things just in producing a podcast that I didn't get in any of my classes at Pitt is, is it possible to learn those things in that environment or, or what is fundamentally missing outside of just raw curriculum? Cause, cause I, I don't, I don't necessarily buy the notion that a business class or, or, or a class in general doesn't want to update its material mm -hmm. or be quote unquote accurate. But I, I don't know if the classroom environment itself is necessarily the way that you learn a lesson like that. So how do you approach maybe the workshops that you put on? And in terms of just thinking about those lessons, some of them are hard won through experience, but as someone who's trying to maybe help people shortcut that, how you think about actually making sure that lesson gets delivered? Well, 
some of these things can't be taught in the classroom or through a textbook, particularly if the person teaching the class has not ever had a business. So first thing, I think that our colleges and universities in their business uh, department, the people who are instructors, yeah, the professors, you know, they should have had business experience. They should come from the business field. They shouldn't come through academia and then be teaching because they have a master's. So I think that's really, really important. I also think that the, the curriculums that we have in our universities and colleges, they really need to, and many of them do, include um, not only projects that you do on your own, maybe with a team of your classmates, but, you know, externships, internships, um, what Praxis does. Yeah, the apprenticeships, the apprenticeships through different yes. small businesses. So that kind of thing. And I love it when we have students, and a lot of times students will call me for business advice on what they're doing for their senior project, right? But to make it quite risky and actually put it out there, because we all do learn. There's two ways we learn. You know, we can learn from a book. So there's three ways we can learn. We can learn from our mistakes. We can learn from our mentors, right? And this is how things like podcasts and the internet and workshops that are non-credit workshops, we're helping each other by saying, we don't all have to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. We can learn from each other. And the best environment is where we have different people who've made different mistakes and we can all learn from each other. Yeah, you know, absolutely. so it's like, well, this is what happened to me and this is what happened to me. And so we come up with an even better way that neither one of us would have thought of before. So I think also too, taking down that level of competition and the idea of secrecy and a big problem that I dislike about our universities and the one that you mentioned, it's a huge problem. And that is we have our very important um, people in medicine, in law, in education, and we take them and we pit them against each other in college and university. We, we pit them against each other in high school by making them compete for colleges. And then as we get them through colleges, we're making them compete against each other to get into the right law school or the right medical school. We say only the best can. And so how we train people is to squash each other down, right? Through medical school, through law school, through even our, our teaching things so that they, that they can get these positions. Then we take them out of law school. We take them out of medical school. We take them out of graduate school to become teachers. And we're like, okay, here you all go. Cure cancer together. You've hated each other for the past, you know, you know, since 16 to 28. For the past 12 years, you've, you've been fighting with each other and squashing each other. But now we're going to cure cancer and Alzheimer's and autism. And they've, they've never learned how to work together to solve a problem. So that's a big problem that I see in corporations when I go in to do corporate coaching is that nobody wants to share their great ideas because they, they want to have the credit for them. That's nonsense. That's something we have to put out the window. And like I like that together we rise kind of uh, an approach in all of this. Absolutely. A rising tide mm -hmm. lifts all boats. Another thing that you've mentioned here a couple times is how important networking events and networking was for building your practice. And I think it kind of ties into that. Are we all competing with each other or can we all rise together mentality? Um, a lot of people maybe get that kind of low level 101 piece of advice that networking is important or the statistic 77% of jobs are never listed because it's just made through some sort of connection or something. For folks out there who have heard that, but can't necessarily take it into practical application and work for them. What advice would you give in terms of being effective at a networking event, 
maybe perhaps even types of events to avoid or types of events to seek out that you've learned through your experience? Right. So you said networking is important. Yeah. And I've probably given you that impression. But what I'm going to say is your network is important. Okay. And what we have in our town and in many other towns is we have a lot of networking events. And I don't like to be networked. <laughs> I don't think you probably do either. No. When you go to this big place and everybody's, here's my card, here's my card, here's my card. Buy this, buy this, you need this. That's not networking. You can network anywhere. My children used to accuse me. My youngest son, Kevin, he used to just be so embarrassed because I would be networking or con- I wouldn't say networking, but I'm connecting even if I'm at the grocery store deli right? Somebody's behind the deli and I'm saying, hey, I think our kids were in scouts together, right? So I'm reconnecting with people all the time. It's sort of my beam that I put out. So when I'm, when I'm coaching someone and I'm helping them to grow their network, I'm telling them that you don't have, a networking event doesn't have to be it. It could be a fundraiser. It could be a, um, it could be a service project. It could be a place where you volunteer. It's growing your network. It could be mentoring, right? And it's, it's about spending your time with quality people and raising the level of the people you do spend your time with. So and a lot of people think that my group, Pittsburgh Professional Women, is a networking group. And while the women absolutely network, it's an education and empowerment group. You know, I started that organization because at that time, 2004, when I started this organization, we started as a Yahoo group. Again, it's kind of like, am I in technology or am I not in technology? We yeah. started as a, as a Yahoo group. And what I was looking for at that time is I really loved to go to educational events, how, how to grow your business, how to get paid what you're worth, how to, how to solve these problems, how to have a LinkedIn profile, what should we do with this Facebook, do we need a blog, all these things that I was aspiring to learn in my business at that time. Uh, I, I, to, to go to a business workshop like that, I would have to go to New York City or Vegas or Los Angeles for five days, childcare, airline ticket. And I thought that's ridiculous. We have so much talent here in Pittsburgh. Why don't we just have an educational event? So while we had lots of networking opportunities, we didn't have a lot of education and empowerment, at least none that were, you know, my favorite term back then at that point in my life, affordable. <laughs> because yeah. <laughs> I was really living on a budget then as a single mom. And so uh, that was really what I started. And it turned into really a movement. And I would imagine, you know, we're maybe the largest, I've never checked this, but the largest women's dues paying organization in, in, in this part of Pennsylvania anyway, because that's important to other people besides me. Not only do they want to, do they want to be with like-minded people, but they want to learn and grow and improve. And that is a way to network. And so I would say, look, the advice that I would give people is you don't have to, to go to every free event that's out there. Although there are some great free events, some I've learned about on your podcast, right? Yeah. That one over at the Strayhorn Theater. Speak freely with awesome. Kim Moore, yeah. Oh, that's a great one. Uh, uh, those kind of things. And the TED Talks that I go to. And there's the TEDx Pittsburgh that we meet the most amazing and interesting people. So there are a lot of opportunities out there. And I think that we need to look for them and maybe be constantly asking ourselves, what do I want to do differently? What kind of people do I want to hang out with? What kind of people do I want to surround myself with? Because there are people that we work with, there are people in our family, and we don't have a lot of choice on that. But there are other hours of the week that we get to choose who we spend our time with. And it's never been easier than today to find your tribe. Absolutely. And I also think from a way to drive the right behavior standpoint, you mentioned 
just handing out as many business cards as possible. And for some people, that is what they think the key performance indicator should be, to use the, the corporate speak. The KPI is I got 20 business cards in other people's hands, good night or whatever it may be. And what I've evolved on to really expect, I was at a, uh, a coffee at Alpha Lab gear or Alpha Lab this morning. And my KPI in an event like this is how many really good conversations did I have? And even if it's one, one good conversation, mm -hmm. that is well worth the attendance because that actually has the potential to turn into something substantial. And even if it doesn't, you know, that's not a complete loss, but I think that that is the difference between approaching it transactionally versus approaching it with actual relationship building in mind as well. And mine is in between the two that you, the two examples that you just gave, my goal is to being the very social person that I am, I could go to an event and stay a really long time. Like I could be the first one there and the last one to go. And I'll be talking to the servers yeah. <laughs> and the manager, right? So to keep myself reined in, my goal is two quality contacts. And that doesn't mean to me, two people who can buy my services, but two interesting people that I did not know before I came to this event. And to me, that makes the event worthwhile. And I also use that strategy for the introverted people that I work with, the people who walk into an event, whether it's a workshop, a fundraiser, uh, some kind of a community initiative, or a, net, a traditional networking event, and they walk in the door and they think, people, I'm going to have to talk, and they get they get afraid. And I will give them that indicator. Meet two new interesting people, not two people that you want to sell to, but make two new interesting contacts and then you can leave. And so for the opposite person of me, the person who is painful for them to be there, yeah. they know that they get to meet two interesting people that they never would have met had they not gone to that event. And then it becomes a successful event. I love it. And I think that, that is just so attainable for so many people and, mm -hmm. and makes it a lot less uh, scary. So uh, hopefully people draw some inspiration from that. Uh, as, as we kind of aim towards wrapping up here before we ask our last two questions, Beth, is there anything else that you were hoping to talk about? I know, I know you just wrote an article about uh, goals for 2018. Anything mm -hmm. else you want to leave the audience with before we wrap up? Oh, I have so many things, so many things going on, but I do want, I'm so looking forward to the summit that you have coming up and yes. I hope it's the first of many. That is the plan. I hope yes. it's the first of many. Yes, yes. I don't know if they'll all be in Pittsburgh. Do you see them out of Pittsburgh? <sighs> I, I don't know. I think in the short term, yes, it'll be in Pittsburgh. I think it's really based off of the demographics of who's listening to this. But I really like the idea of creating another kind of cultural event for the city. We have Thrival. We have Demo Day. We have these other things around business and startups and whatnot. And uh, my hope is that it's something that attracts people to Pittsburgh, similar to the way that mm -hmm. South by attracts people to Austin or other events attract other people around the country. And it's so interesting because we didn't know each other before you planned your summit, but we have the same um, passion, which is to stay in Pittsburgh, yeah. to have our workshops, our movements, our initiatives, and use local people. And, and it's about education and empowerment as well. And I think that's so cool that we complement each other that way. And that's that was our goal. And we didn't even know each other. Absolutely. So that shows that things really are universal. And what that tells me is that if you have an idea to do something, do it or somebody else is going to have that idea because we truly are all connected universally. So, so this good idea that we're having here in Pittsburgh, somebody else is having it, you know, in Austin or in, in Uganda, like the people are having these ideas because these are universal thoughts. Yeah. Hey, wouldn't it be great if we did this? So many people get those ideas and they resist 
acting on them. And then there are great people that act on them and that have the courage to do that. And so I love I love that you're doing that. And the biggest new thing I'm working on, I did have a new book come out um, just a few months ago called From Frantic to Focused, and that I'm still doing a lot of speaking engagements on. But I'm a writer, and I wrote that book last year. <laughs> it takes a while for those things to come out. So the new book that we're working on now is called Shift. And that book is about a lot of what we're talking about today. It's about how so many people have become very successful using internet tools and using access of the internet and social media, but that that place is becoming crowded. Yeah. And while there have always been people there with integrity and without integrity, that gap is is much wider. There's there's a lot more people on there. Um, here's this package, buy this package. And, and I see a lot of people falling prey to spending a lot of money for, for the kind of things that I do, training programs, because that's the field that I'm in. So that's what I'm paying attention to. And I'm seeing that field get very murky online. And now I'm like, how do we position ourselves amongst these people that just are throwing money out there onto a brand? How do we say, this is quality here? How do we compete? with those big dollar signs. And part of it is to take your your business offline and to stay ahead of the curve, something I never thought I'd be doing. So shift is what's coming up for me. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to check it out. That's That'll be your ninth book? Uh, that will be my eighth book. Eighth book. Yeah, well, for that Panic is, to Focus was number seven. That will be, that's an impressive output. And I think that that in and of itself is something for people to check out and be uh, inspired by. But if they want to follow along and learn more about all the awesome things that you're doing, where can we point people to learn more? Right. So if you are on social media, you can look for me on Facebook. I have a wonderful group there called From Frantic to Focused. If you're not on social media, I'd love for you to check out my website, pittsburghbiztvshows.com. My channel there is Smart Leadership. And if you ever need uh, a dose of Beth and my inspiration, there are a lot of uh, very brief videos there that will take you through some of the the, uh, challenges of life. We have a video there on negotiation and communication. There's one on sexual harassment. Uh, There's one about how to deal with an overwhelming email inbox, which is something that almost everybody I know struggles with. So there's a lot of good short brief tips there on Pittsburgh Biz TV shows. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link that in the show notes for everyone to check out. Goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast is the place to find it for this and every episode of the show. But as we do at the end of each episode, Beth, I would love to give you the mic one final time Mm. to issue an actual personal challenge for the audience. Mm. Well, I think I'm going to, can I give two? Absolutely. Can I give two? Thank you. Okay. So my two favorite pieces of advice, and they are two things that I wish I had done differently in my life. Most of the, the choices that I've made in life, I would stick with them if I had to do it all over again, except for these two things. One would be to stop trying to do everything at the same time. That's what I did in my 20s and 30s. I tried to do everything. I, I would, have you ever heard that that quote where it says, don't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 30? Yeah. I did that all the time when I was young. And I would be constantly um, trying to achieve things that weren't just weren't sensible for that point of my life or career. So yes, you can do it all. Women and men both. You can have a family, you can have a career, you can have success, you can have abundance. You can be impactful in the community. You can do that, but you can't do it all at the same time. Um, My second piece of advice would be for those people who want to do something different and they keep on holding themselves back. And my advice to you would be stop making your decisions based on what other people might think. Too many people do that. 
they say, I really want to start a business or I really want to take a trip. I really want to be on a podcast. I really want to get married. I really want to get divorced. I really want to get married to somebody of the same sex. But all of those things, but I can't because what my my husband or wife will say, my best friend will say, my neighbor, my parents, my grandparents, my boss. And we make our decisions based on what we think other people will say. And I think that's I think that's a disaster. And I think that it's something we really need to get away from. And we can do that by number one, stop judging ourselves and try to stop judging other people and really raise everybody a level. Uh, what did you say about the tide? A rising tide lifts all boats. Yes. And so being aware of how much we judge ourselves and how much we judge other people is the first step in stopping that. An example of this drives me crazy. Um, you get together with a group of women and a little girl comes in and the grandmother or the aunt says to the little five-year-old girl, do you have a boyfriend? Why do we do that? Right? What are we saying to her? Um, you know, we have a 16-year-old girl. So do you have a date to the prom? <laughs> Why aren't we saying, are you studying math and science? <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite things uh, that I ever saw was like a meme of this kid who came home from college for Christmas break. And having experienced this, it just resonated so deeply. He had a sign that said, I am not in a relationship. I am studying economics. I graduate in two years. Yes, it's gone quickly. And like like every standard question that people ask of like how I'm going to hem you in. So I, that, I love that. And I don't want to go to that family dinner because they're going to ask me all of these questions. Yeah. You know, when are you getting married? When are you going to have a baby? We do that to each other. It's something we've been taught, but we can be very aware of the next time you want to ask somebody that question, just pause and hold it and think of something else. Yeah to ask them. Uh, I think that we can really rise that way. Absolutely. I think a great question to ask people is what are you really fired up about? And if they're not, you can piece apart why, but if they're fired, like you're giving them permission to just unload something they're passionate about onto you, which I always enjoy. I might steal that. I like that. That's a good one. And then, and then the other thing that's really tied to that challenge that I really like is as, as much as we want to be better about treating people and, and not judging people and all these other things. Another part of that is recognizing kind of the reality of how other people's minds work, which is it takes a while for people to reorient you. Because once I have you kind of neatly fit into this shelf, I have an idea of who you are and you fit in business coach or you fit in fireman or you fit in whatever it may be, reshelving you is a difficult uh, psychological task and people aren't ready to do it. So when you do make that change, there's just naturally going to be resistance in your social group, in your or your network as people try to redefine you and understanding that there's a light at the end of the tunnel to that. The first time everyone's like, whoa, what are you, what are you you're trying to start a podcast? You're trying to start <laughs> surf lessons or whatever? Like that is going to happen, but you can quickly get over that wave. And I, I've experienced that. I started the podcast and I can tell you how many of my former Ultimate teammates were like razzing me like, oh, Aaron, you're going to have me on the podcast? Like completely just kind of yanking my chain, giving me a hard time. And after a, a short while, really a short while of being earnestly in pursuit of the new thing, people take notice and they say, I mean, he or she, you know, Beth, Beth is really serious about this. Tip my cap to her. I'm, I'm kind of jealous actually that she went for it and, and changed her path. And what that tells me about you, like me, you have resilience. So even though that is uncomfortable when people react that way, you have the resilience to get through that. And so for everybody listening, for whatever you want to do, and people do rouse you because it makes them uncomfortable because change, 
I don't know why human beings are resistant to change. I, we, that could be a whole other podcast, but, yeah. but a friend of mine told me once about how, you know, our planet changes every day. The, the days change, the seasons change, we get older, but yet we always want to get like, this is my house. This is where I'm staying forever. Why do we do that? We really resist change. And that is really the, the, the reason why people get thrown off when you make a change. We were some, for some reason, we're, that's a brain study somebody must be doing about. And so understanding that people are resisting to change and patiently waiting through that. Uh, so many people stop when they get a little joke or a little criticism or a little bit about what somebody might say. And honestly, that person doesn't even remember saying it. And you have changed your life because of a comment. Absolutely. Well, Beth, this has been awesome. There are so many nuggets that people are going to walk away with. Thank you so much for coming Thanks, on my podcast Thanks. This has today. been fun. Thanks for having me. We just went deep with Beth Caldwell. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. This was such a fun conversation. I'm thankful to Beth for sharing so much of her time and for you for listening all the way to the end. Please check out the Going Deep Summit if you've not done so already. Tickets are easily accessible at goingdeepwitharen.com event. Additionally, we have some fantastic interviews coming down the pipe, including Audrey Chang, who's setting up the Moringa School in Nairobi, Kenya. We have John Fetterman, a candidate for Pennsylvania Congress, Mayor of Braddock, and all-around fascinating dude, and some other really good interviews coming down the pipe. So you need to be subscribed, and I will catch you on the next episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.